Feeding the Bookworms Legally Reading can be a tedious experience unless the conditions are compatible. A blatant tale of two extremes, love and hate. With internal and external disturbances, the focus wanders off the pages into a dark cellar. Sitting in a cabin waiting for the weather to turn, work to the contrary. Cumbersome responsibilities and stressors were quietly self-managed with an absence of noise outside to bother me. There were prime conditions for focus time. Fearing the reach of the Nashville Library, I attempted to obtain a library card at the Whitefish Library under the cover of Spud Fligger. I let my hair down. I lowered my glasses. I popped in my fake teeth. Lastly, I taped my wrists for good measure. After an extensive interview by a tenacious committee of high-profile community board members and a polygraph, I was awarded a library card and given free reign over their Dewey Decimal System. For the first time since leaving Nashville, I was a legal library cardholder. To feed the nostalgic demons, I picked up some Hardy Boys books, legally. I read many Hardy Boys as a young lad and wished to reclaim the essence of their tales. The adventure and casework that never failed to find the brothers appealed to me the most. The emergence of my story writing in grade school would be deeply influenced by Hardy Boys. Reading several of these books as an adult greatly disappointed. Perhaps I simply caught the wrong book or the wrong writer. The vicarious sense of wonder left unmatched to those younger experiences. Obviously, the works aligned with juvenile fiction without expectations of high-level Pulitzer work. Just fun, free-flowing, youthful adventure with basic characters and a plot. Being naive to the wizard behind the curtain meant a distinct lack of awareness that the series had a legion of writers. Franklin W. Dixon did not actually exist. What a terrible revelation. Reading books back-to-back revealed a gaping pit of inconsistencies. The broken rhythm and flow gave evidence of varied ghostwriters. An overall incredible letdown the second time around, but at least I returned them to the library without any fees, fines, or bounties. A substantial part of early cabin reading based around Tom Brown Jr.'s works as a wilderness survival expert. He attracted some controversy behind how authentic the tales were, but that did not matter to me. After wrapping up his first book, The Tracker, I became hooked in and wanting more. Tales of his youth with a friend and a Native American elder. He spent his childhood learning about tracking, scouting, hunting, and other adventures. People who live that way of life always fascinated me, and the pages turned themselves somehow. The search would soon follow, which continued beyond the last book. Grandfather fully recounted that Apache elder who traveled the world studying the nuances of primitive skills, a truly remarkable human being with roots to what life resembled in unreserved Apache days. The way of the scout compelled me to want to try to camp out on the neighbor's property, a fun, experimental homage that never played out. These books were delightful to read, though they possessed overlap at times. The revisited content actually reinforced some moments. I would go on to work with his wilderness survival in the science and art of tracking books 
for some timid attempts at practical application. The book Shoeless Joe by W.P. Kinsella appealed to me as an amateur writer and Field of Dreams fan. The book served as the basis for the movie Field of Dreams, with many subplots that are a treat to get into. First, let me go into the plot of Field of Dreams to give some context. This is my lightning round take if you've not seen the movie. An Iowa farmer, Ray Kinsella, hears a voice and sees a vision of his dead father's baseball hero, Shoeless Joe Jackson, out in his corn. He cuts down the corn so that the apparition can play baseball there. Once that's not enough, he kidnaps a disgruntled writer, Terrence Mann, to watch a baseball game at Fenway Park on the other side of the country. They would both see a vision at that game that inspired them to pick up a hitchhiker with medical training that ends up saving his daughter's life while eating a hot dog, watching Shoeless Joe play in the cornfield with his dead former teammates. This then allows Ray to play catch with his deceased father in the field that used to be corn. The end. The book Shoeless Joe is pleasant, and the storyline contained a fair amount of discrepancies from the movie. No problem. The author writes this story in first person as himself, W.P. Kinsella. He heavily features the disgruntled writer J.D. Salinger. The amusing part being that J.D. Salinger, who played a fictional writer in Shoeless Joe, evolved from an actual writer who had decidedly withdrawn from society after publishing several works, including The Catcher in the Rye. A real man in hiding with hopes to disappear from existence gets featured in a book that has nothing to do with him? And W.P. Kinsella never received Salinger's permission to feature him. Incredible. And why would he? He is a fictional character. Salinger's actual fictional book, The Catcher in the Rye, then fictionally portrayed as The Catcher in the Rye in the book Shoeless Joe. The crux of all this amazement is still unraveling. The movie Field of Dreams propagates this madness with no desire to veer off the path towards the land of the surreal. What the movie Field of Dreams does is keep the first-person main character of the book, also the actual name of the author for Shoeless Joe, almost. So, essentially, the main character of Field of Dreams is the author of the fictional book Shoeless Joe that the movie is based on. The movie Field of Dreams will then formulate a fictional writer of Terrence Mann, played by James Earl Jones, instead of using the multifaceted J.D. Salinger, who actively identified as an actual author and passively as a key fictional character author. Salinger's fictional fictional book, as well as the actual fictional book, The Catcher in the Rye, would then be modified to a fictional book, The Boat Rocker in the Movie, written, of course, by Terrence Mann. Still being a fictitious spin-off of the real fictional author of both the actual and fictional book, The Catcher in the Rye. Not the fictional character who was the actual author of the book the movie based on. Such hysteria is the most amazing thing ever to a young man in isolation in the woods. A shame that the movie Inception did not play off of this further. I moved on to read The Catcher in the Rye, the non-fiction version of the fictional novel, that is to say, this book invoked intrigue to me in two diverse ways. One, both it and its fictional actual author featured in the book I had concluded. Second, the works earned some adverse publicity because people blamed the content for some atrocities, such as the murder of John Lennon. I found the book to be innocently incredible. Books that bring ordinary, mundane scenarios to life prove why they end up so popular. I thought about Of Mice and Men that way. The first-person writing was well-crafted, compelling the reader to all but live through some internal dialogue of a teenage boy and relive some of those struggles that go along with that era. 
I walked away not understanding why the story would compel someone to do an evil act, but remain glad that they made the movie Field of Dreams somehow from this. I jotted down a quote from a quote in the book which sounded alluring. There are plenty of holes in this statement to be sure, but became a fun rabbit hole to jump into while defeating some boredom. The mark of an immature man is that he wants to die nobly for a cause, while the mark of the mature man is that he wants to live humbly for one. Mr. Antolini quoting Wilhelm Steckel. A goal of picking up a new language remains still in play, and Spanish emerged as the highest value at that point. I read La Momia de Separetse, written as a foreign language education supplement. The title translates to The Mummy Disappeared. The content amused, but being written in another language warranted heavy critiques. No, the structure helped kindle some motivation to strengthen my vocabulary, and the mystery category persisted well enough to enjoy fumbling through. Perhaps the most enjoyable reverberation coming from any book read was A Walk in the Woods by Bill Bryson. I'm not sure if I would call it a favorite, but that book proved that walking is superior to running. Otherwise, it would have been named A Run in the Woods. Additionally, a character by the name of Katz shoveled out non-stop joys from start to finish, fitting for that era. The Appalachian Trail had long been a curiosity, though hard to imagine giving up six entire months to do something day after day like that. With the author a bit of a city slicker, the humor and clumsiness conveyed a very relatable antidote of how a journey on the trail would be, a story so well expressed that the writing made the trip nearly vicarious, a substitute experience. While pen and paper can never depict real, livable, breathable moments in their entirety, some craftsmanship comes close. Katz, the author's reluctant companion on the trail, is easily the most entertaining character from any book I opened. An old, out-of-shape, reformed man presenting an essence so far from what one might expect in nature. He loathed nearly every minute of backpacking, it seemed. I backpacked enough to know the frustrations that unavoidably fuse with the experience and have deeply internalized every single word he expressed out loud to others without shame. A complete collection of the far side would be burned through almost daily. This fandom of Gary Larson's work proceeded long before Montana, but held a peculiar focus with so much downtime. There is something charming about a concise picture with few words that portray a galaxy of chaotic humor and cryptic science. Someone had even given me a peel-away far-side calendar for Christmas, which allowed for a focused new comic each day. I also enjoyed A Farmer's Almanac throughout the year and an I Spy Christmas book. Very refreshing. Author's Note All Whitefish Library items were returned on time.